Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Indeed. And this is a very special episode. Why? This is episode number 85. Wow. And we have 15 Patreon episodes, which makes this our unofficial 100th episode episode. I'm going to steal the wind from your sails. Why? Because two of our regular uploads uh-huh. were shared from Patreon. Well. So that doesn't technically count. So we need to do well. two more. We're two episodes <laughs> away from a very, very exciting milestone. <laughs> okay, that's a good Got point. him. 98th episode. <laughs> this is extremely special. <laughs> Oh, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. You're not That's amazing, though. You are what literally one of the smartest people I've ever met. <laughs> oh, and you want to wow. know the funniest thing about this whole deal is that I'm actually between the two of us, the worserer one at math. That's so, true. So, except but, that one time you did try to do, you tried to convert. <laughs> tried to do something on the fly. Gallons off, or two we gallons? I yeah, think. That yeah, was whatever it was. It was pretty bad. So far. <laughs> <laughs> on public record, I am yeah. far worse and apparently have no attention to, to detail. Uh, and uh, that's... I think well, you're brilliant. The world knows. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are you drinking tonight? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm keeping it simple. I'm doing a zero sugar Dr. Pepper in an ice water. Ooh. You hear the clinking and a clanking. That'd be me. That's you. What about you? <sighs> well... I'm I'm trying to be good and drink drinks that are a little bit healthier for me. So I tried this. I, I've never had this before. I got an uh, Olipop. You know what? O-L-I-P-O-P. Olipop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you about to say something? No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I interrupted you. Oh, well, I got an Olipop and it's the classic root beer flavor because I was like, yeah, I want one that tastes kind of like a pop. The other ones, there were some cool sounding flavors. I know. But they were all kind of like watermelon strawberry. I'm like, that's great, but I, I want like a pop tasting drink. Right. So this is pretty good. It honestly tastes more like a dum-dum sucker. Really? Flavor of root beer, which is fine, but not like really great root beer. Right. But, but yeah. to skip to like skip out on the sugar is not a bad thing. I have almost True. bought an Olipop soda like probably 20 times because the packaging is so cute. It is. It's very neat. I am a sucker for good packaging. Yeah. It's almost gotten me a few times, but I'm like, no, we have sugar-free sodas at home. We don't need to do it. It's true. 
Well, this is, I mean, yeah, for 35 calories, not so bad. Not bad at all. Not bad Well, hey, at look all. at us go. Yeah. All right, love. You got a feel-good fact for us this week? I do. So last week, September 15th, 2023, downtown Cincinnati, Ohio, hosted its annual Oktoberfest Zincinnati. And a crowd favorite event at this whole yeah, shindig yeah. is the annual running of the wieners, a race <laughs> consisting of 100 Dotsons dressed in hot dog costumes. Who They, they run their little race yeah. while thousands of cheering fans support them. All 10 heats of the race are packed with spectators. And this year's winner, Ruby, took home the grand prize, a year's <laughs> supply of dog food. Amazing. You know, it's what's so funny? cute. You know, what's funny. Uh, what? I actually had a friend who went to that. No way. Yeah. My friend Spencer and oh, his mom awesome. went together. Did they get running of the wieners photos? I, I don't know if they got photos of that. I'll need to text them later because now that we brought this up, I feel like I, I need more details on their trip. <laughs> but, yeah, right. but I feel like uh, a, you, yeah. you missed a few questions you could have asked. I just didn't know that that was a thing. I know. Isn't that so cute? Yeah, that is very cute. I That's literally just was searching cute things that happened this week. This. <laughs> and this was the top result. So oh, amazing. It didn't disappoint. But yeah. The Wiener Fest. Wiener. Whatever. Wait, running wiener, of the Wieners. Running of the Wieners. <laughs> Oktoberfest. Running of the Wieners. We are very giggly tonight. I've literally yawned 50 times. Yes. And I've said literally probably 10 times. I've already so had sorry. more fun in the, first, in, in the first five minutes of this episode than I usually have in a whole day. So. Aw. I know. Jeez. This has been very fun. All right, everybody. That's it. See you next. Just kidding. I going to say the fun's not going to end anytime I'm, soon because this is a really fun one. You have been hyping this up to me all day. If you're disappointed. Without any details. If you're disappointed, I'm going to be like personally hurt. <laughs> honestly. Well, good thing this isn't the 100th unofficial episode <laughs> today. True. All true. right. You all got right. a story. Let's go. All right. So in early May of 1973, two children were playing in the resort town of Sandown on the picturesque Isle of Wight off of the southern coast of England. The two were exploring in an area near a golf course when their fun was interrupted by a sound that resembled an ambulance siren. As the two looked around, they saw no ambulance, but instead, they saw a curious figure that looked like a drawing of a clown come to life, and what the children claimed would be stranger still. This is the story of the Sandown ghost clown. Hang on, Kev. What? This one's a doozy. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yes. This one is so great. Okay. Okay, so we're going to start this one off just getting a little bit of a feel for the location. Okay. On the Isle of Wight, there are several beautiful beach areas, including the town of Sandown. And there's like Sandown Beach, I think is what it's called, which is where our story takes place. So it's like off the southern coast. And I believe that Sandown is on the southern edge as well. Okay. Or it's like, it's pretty like central south. Sure. South central. Yes. Yeah, but it's just a cool little like resort town and there are also residents who live there. Yeah. So it's really cool. It's really beautiful. So on an undisclosed Tuesday afternoon in May of 1973, two children, an unnamed boy and a girl given the pseudonym of Faye were out playing. The children were just seven years old and were enjoying their afternoon at Lake Common. At around 4 p.m., the fun was interrupted by what the children described as a strange wailing sound similar to an ambulance siren. Intrigued by the odd sound, the two began walking like in the general direction of where the noise was coming from, leading them across a golf course, through a hedge, 
and into a swampy meadow near the Sandown Airport, which was rarely in use then. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's still operational today, but also rarely in use. Not much, yeah. Yeah. They continued following the sound, and as they approached a narrow footbridge leading over a small brook, they were stopped in their tracks by an extremely bizarre sight. Out from under the bridge popped a three-fingered hand clad in a blue glove. What? And with it, a full figure emerged, and this is what it looked like. The being was humanoid in form and stood at approximately seven feet tall. The being, which is referred to as male in the document that I read about this from, appeared to have no neck, as if his perfectly round head had been wedged directly onto his shoulders. He was wearing a pointed yellow hat with a black ball at the top and then two wooden antennas jutting out on either side. His skin was pale white or paper white, as it said in the article, and he had red hair sticking out of the bottom of his hat, described as like a fringe on his forehead. Mm. His yellow hat was attached to a red collar on a long green tunic. The clothing was very worn, possibly tattered from exposure to the elements, with what the children described as wooden slats sticking out of his sleeves and out from his white pants as well. He was barefoot, and the children noticed that he had only three toes on each of his bare, very pale feet. So three fingers, three toes. His face had some unique features as well. On top of being very white, he had small triangle-shaped markings for eyes, additional markings on his cheeks, a brown nose in the shape of a square, and he had a yellow mouth that never seemed to move. What? So, all right. Give me, give me some first impressions of this, of this very, very strange character. Well, my, my only real thought, you, you kind of did say this earlier, um, is this sounds like a, like a small child's drawing. It also makes me think of like, is this some weird like sloth with like a weird ability or a weird like I've never met a outfit. seven foot tall sloth. Kevin. Well, they're... So but the three toes really sold things. you on the that, sloth. That was the only thing I can think of. I'm, just, I'm like, and you said it had <laughs> sorry, cl- sorry. Three, three claws, right? No, three fingers. Three fingers. On are, each hand that are in blue gloves. Not clawed. Uh, not from what I read. Okay. It just said three, like a three-fingered hand was the verbiage. Still, wow. And then three toes on each of his feet. Oof. Yeah, super weird. Yeah, very strange. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of freaked out, honestly. Okay, so I, I'm not afraid of clowns. Clowns don't usually like totally scare me, but there's enough of a, like the, the 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 thing about clowns uh-huh. that you get a real creepy one, and it's like that should be unsettling to anybody. Well, a clown exploding out from under a bridge that's seven feet tall. Yes, that would be scary. With three fingers and yes. three toes. Yes. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's in its own category. <laughs> <laughs> like we have a, we have like a cultural kind of context for clowns that I feel like is pretty distinct to where we're at yeah. like in society like from pop culture and just from our own like childhood experiences and stuff and I'm also not like super afraid of clowns I don't love adults in costumes mm-hmm. like in weird places like the mall bunny used to scare me like as a teenager it scared me sure I did not want to be near <laughs> it like you are a grown person walking around dressed like the Easter bunny and I don't like it. And it still makes me unnerved. We yes. don't take our kids to go see mall bunny or right, mall Santa. Right. You couldn't pay me to do it. But I feel like in this specific time and place, and I'm sure I'll talk about this later, there's not really a cultural norm of being afraid 
of clowns quite yet, you know? Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. You know, but it's still a weird place for there to be a clowny looking figure. (sighs) Yes. So the odd looking figure fumbled with what appeared to be a book of some kind, scrambling to grab it, but failing. So it like splashed into the creek water and the children watched in silent confusion as the being splashed around in the water before he successfully found the book and pulled it out, holding it in his gloved three-fingered hands. Without making a sound, the creature began to move away from the children. But instead of walking or even running, the creature moved away from them in an awkward hopping motion, pulling his knees up high with each bound that he took. What? (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, what? No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So he then disappeared into a windowless metal hut, kind of like those temporary metal huts that they put up at construction sites. Okay. No windows. But why is it there? Was it a construction site? No. (laughs) No. This is getting weirder. I know. It's so weird. I love it so much. Okay. So the children kind of just wandered off in a way, which is like so on brand for age seven. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like actually like very consistent with Mm seven-year-olds. It's unclear really why, but it sounds like there wasn't really any urgency one way or the other. They're just kind of like, well, that was weird and just went about their business. Right. So as they were wandering around, they suddenly heard that wailing sound again, which prompted them to walk back towards the hut. They saw the creature again. This time, it was holding a black microphone attached to a white cable. The children were about 50 yards away from the creature when suddenly they heard that loud wailing noise become impossibly loud. It was so loud that the little boy got scared and turned to run away, Faye joining after him. As the kids were running away, the creature spoke into the microphone. Though he was far away, both of the children recalled that it sounded like the sound of his voice was right next to them. Not like being projected over a speaker, but as though he was Mm. literally standing next to them as he was speaking. Oh, that's so weird. The voice said, hello, are you still there? The children stopped running and turned to look back at the being once again. They felt like he had a friendly, trustworthy voice, and so they approached him where he stood, still next to the metal structure. Mm, No. Yeah. Also, stranger danger isn't a thing. I feel like we're going to have to take lots of context breaks where it's like this is a different Uh, time. It's not abnormal for kids to go explore in the woods in the early 70s. Right. And clowns aren't weird. And they're also like very trusting. And they'll, they'll, they'll take their cues from things like a friendly voice. Right. You know? Right. Not across the board, but generally speaking, it's not abnormal for a child to actually not be afraid. Right. In a scenario like this, which is... They also just haven't been tainted by all the horror stories, true and fictional, mm, that yeah. adults have. Like, they're not jaded by all that stuff right, yet. So, right. when they were close enough to speak to the figure, it pulled out a notebook and wrote these words. Hello, and I am all colors, Sam. Faye noted that the words were out of sequence. So, like, he did not write them in, like, a conventional order. But the figure would point to each word in the or- like in a specific order, and Faye would read them out loud as he did to like make out that he was saying hello and I am all colors Sam that I don't like the name me neither what's with that name that's oh my gosh okay it was also noted that the boy was very hesitant to get close to the being but Faye seemed more relaxed about it like he was kind of begrudgingly there Mm -hmm. which I feel like if I was seven I'd probably be more like the boy and like my brave bold friends would just kind of like lead the charge and I'd be like (laughs) I'm here You know, I was like one time in high school. I never like ever did anything rebellious at all in high school, really. 
And one time my friends were all having a sleepover and they're like, we're going to drive to this town like 15 minutes away to get Taco Bell. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to not survive this trip. My, if my mom finds out it's over for me, I, I was terrified the right. whole way there and the whole way back. And they're all like singing Britney Spears. Yeah. And I'm like not trying not to cry. Yeah. So I would definitely be more like the boy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. And so, your friends are there making buddies, just being like, look, he's so nice. Yeah. Look at this very cool, very this ordinary, very, st- very neat we're looking in. guy. <laughs> yeah. He's so unique. Yeah. Okay. So it was at this moment that the children realized that this being could speak without the help of the microphone, but his lips never moved. And the words sounded like they were being spoken by someone who doesn't open their mouth properly, according to Faye. Mm. So I personally get the visual of like a ventriloquist. Yeah, and a marionette, yeah. like I, or a ventriloquist dummy. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I don't marionette, like that. is that the right word? The I ventriloquist like, dummy? Yeah, what do they call those? I think it's just a uh, ventriloquist dummy. Oh, okay. Well, I feel like there's a proper term that I'm missing. I know we'll have a listener who knows and we'll be yeah. like, it's this, duh. But anyway, that's kind of the visual I get where the mouth was painted on with a yellow paint and there was like a line where his mm-hmm. mouth should be, but it never would move when he would speak. Yeah, that's weird. And from here, the children and All Colors Sam struck up a conversation. They sort of went back and forth asking each other questions. The children noticed his tattered clothes and asked why they were like that. Sam explained that they were the only clothes that he had with him, and so he had to wear these ones. When they looked over his bizarre features, they realized that they'd never seen anyone or anything quite like Sam before, and so they asked him if he was really a man. Sam chuckled and said no. Which is what? ominous. No. Just, <laughs> no, I'm not a man. Oh. Yikes. They then asked him if he was a ghost, to which he replied, quote, well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. End quote. Mm. <laughs> what are you then? They asked him. Cryptically, Sam only replied with, you know. He offered them no further explanation about what he was. What? So he's not a man. He's not a ghost. And when they asked him directly, what are you? He said, you know. I don't like that answer. I don't know, Sam. Why don't you just tell me, please? Sam, stop. Sam. (laughs) Oh, no. So, strangely, he told the children that he had no name, despite seeming to have introduced himself as either Sam or All Colors Sam just minutes before. Right. He told the children that there were others like him and then drew a crude sketch of one in his book. He told the kids that he was afraid of people and was scared that they might hurt him and that if they did try to hurt him, he wouldn't fight back. Which, Mm. listen, I don't know how I feel about that actually at all. Because on one hand, I'm so skeptical. If somebody says something like that, 99 times out of 100, they are lying to you to try and disarm you. Right. But then like, what if this weird thing is actually not a man and not a ghost (laughs) and he doesn't know what the norms are here on this planet or plane of reality or whatever. Yeah. And so he's like just being honest with these very small beings. Maybe right. he's seen the the native creatures of the land and he's seen the adults and is scared of them and right. saw these little ones and saw that they seem friendly. Right. And so he reached out to them and they seem nice and they don't seem like they want to hurt. It. Like, I really don't know. Yeah. How I feel. Because it's it, one extreme or the other. It's That's not well, a neutral yeah. statement. It's either a very like delusional 
man in a very crazy costume mm-hmm. or it's something otherworldly. Right. You know, isn't that bizarre? And the delusion could go a uh, hundred different directions, but like, those are really the only two options. It right. sounds like, uh, right. which is horrifying in either case. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I need to know what happens. I need, yes. I need you to please continue the story. I'm, I'm all stressed out. You're going to hate this next sentence. <sighs> the creature then invited the children into his hut. No. They crawled in through a flap and in, inside. No, they and did And they took a look oh. around. The hut was two levels with a small space on the upper level and then a much more open bottom level. The walls appeared to have been wallpapered with a blue-green paper and were patterned with metallic dials. There was a small electric heater as well as some plain wooden furniture. Sam went on to tell the children that this was where he camped and that he had another camp at a location on the mainland, but he didn't give them really any details Mm -hmm. beyond it's on the mainland to like where it was. He survived by gathering water from a nearby stream and purifying it before drinking. He also foraged local berries for food. He then went on to show them a bizarre little trick that he'd figured out with the berries. First, he took off his hat, revealing that his head was perfectly round, that he had round white ears and patchy brown hair along with that little red fringe in the front. Very (laughs) odd-looking fella. Yeah. He then showed the children a berry, that he promptly stuck into his ear. No. He thrust his head down and the berry disappeared before quickly reappearing in one of his weird little triangle eyeballs. He then thrust his head down again and the berry disappeared once more, this time reappearing in his mouth before he happily swallowed it. (laughs) The little girl, (laughs) Faye called it a conjuring (laughs) trick, which I'm like, yup. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. That sounds right. Wow. So the article that I read for this story made a little disclaimer that they believed it was possible that he had on some sort of specialized mask or eyewear that would allow him to scan the berry in order to determine whether or not it was poisonous, just as a sidebar, which I thought that was like a weird, it was like in parentheses as a sidebar. That, okay. It will make more sense when I talk about the publication. Okay, okay. But what do you think of Sam's cool berry trick? Don't like it. I can like picture that in my head vividly. Um, I'm really trying not to. <laughs> I'm doing my very best to imagine all of this as like a 2D animation story and mm. not something that could have actually happened. Mm. So, yeah. Yes. What to think <laughs> of it like Dexter's laboratory style animation makes it way less scary. Yeah, it kind of creeps me out more. I don't know. Uh, no, because I because it's like in the real world, drawing it, like copying and pasting it from a cartoon and putting it in the real world is scarier to me. Well, I'm not putting it in the real world. I'm just imagining it's in Dexter's laboratory. Hi, Kevin. (laughs) After about 30 minutes in total, the children told the odd figure goodbye and headed back towards town. They had to cross the golf course once more. And when they excitedly told the first grown-up that they ran into on the golf course that they'd seen a ghost, the man just kind of laughed and wrote it off. He didn't really believe them. He's like, oh, oh, kids, you know. And so they headed home. (laughs) Faye would sit on this story for about three weeks until June 2nd, 1973, when she decided to tell her father everything about her strange experience. At first, her dad, who was known only by the pseudonym Mr. Y, didn't really believe her. Everything she told him was absolutely bizarre, but he quickly changed his mind. Hmm. Faye recalled the story to him again and again with remarkable consistency and attention to the same details. 
He was also struck by how deeply she seemed to believe every word that she had said. She also told him that she believed that this figure, Sam, was either someone in a costume or that he was a ghost. Hmm. Which is interesting that that's the conclusion that she came to. Right. Mr. Y decided to investigate a little bit further. Each time he'd ask Faye about the encounter that she'd had in the swampy meadow, she remained consistent with her story. This prompted him to go to the home of the seven-year-old boy who had been with Faye when they encountered the bizarre robot scarecrow clown creature (laughs) ghost. That's a great (laughs) string of words all together. Yes, yes. And though he was definitely more guarded than Faye was, the boy also told the same story with remarkable detail and the consistency between the children's accounts was rock solid. Hmm. So they both told the same story, didn't waver from it, Faye was like upset that her dad didn't believe her. Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you believe me? Right. So like. (laughs) Because this is a crazy story, kid. They believe. (laughs) (laughs) They believe that that is 100% what they had experienced. So I just think that that is very interesting. So with that, Mr. Y reached out to a man by the name of Norman Oliver, a researcher and writer for the Bufora Journal. Bufora is the British UFO Research Association, which I'm actually pretty sure that we've talked about them Hmm. on at least one previous episode. I think so. Like, it sounds familiar. I can't place it. I'm like, did we talk about that on Skinwalker or did we talk about that on um, maybe the Warminster thing? I'm not sure. So Norman Oliver went on to publish the story in the January, February 1978 edition of the Bufora Journal, which I thought was interesting for a few reasons. One of those reasons is that it seems as though Mr. Y waited several years before coming forward with Faye's story, and he only ever shared it under a pseudonym and with only one publication. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Yes. Why would you share that if you're not going to get any attention? You're not going to get any... Right. Like, what's what's the payout for coming forward with a fake name? He also, like, was very specific. I'm not using any identifiers for myself or for my daughter because she's a child. I don't want anybody to know any information about her and like harass her over this. Right. Well, and it sounds to me like once again, you're most likely set between two real options. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's more like that are on the table, but these two really come up. It's either you have somebody who is trying to protect themselves and not sound like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. telling the story so you use a pseudonym or you are telling a fictional story with a pseudonym because you just want to have some fun. Sure. But like those are two very different kinds of scenarios with this. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's being treated by this journal as more like the former, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So It does. Well, and it, that's actually something that is very common with eyewitnesses across the world, like not just here, where they do use a pseudonym. They're they're scared to come forward. Like they haven't yeah. even told their families because they're worried their family will think they're crazy. Right. You know, that happens yeah. a lot. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me at all. And they only, uh, he only ever shared it with Bufora. He didn't share it with anybody else. Ever. Yeah. Which would be a weird place to share that story if it was just for fun. Right. Because, yeah, it's typically if it's just for fun, you want to put that in the main newspapers so that everybody mm-hmm. sees it and you can maybe start, you know, building a literary career or right. something. Putting it in Bufora is like, well, yeah, no one's going to read this except for people who 
have an interest in this specific topic. Right. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. The other reason I think this is interesting is that he didn't only share Faye's bizarre tale, but he shared a few stories of his own encounters with Norman Oliver, and those were also included in the publication. So let's go through Mr. Wise's sightings before we talk more about Sam. Oh, (laughs) okay. So it's important to note, like right out of the gate, that Mr. Y had never told his daughter about his UFO sightings before she had her encounter. It sounds like he kept them mostly to himself. Yeah, he just thought they were strange and Mm -hmm. tucked them away. Mm -hmm. So his first sighting took place in October of 1970, three years before Faye's encounter. On October 20th, 1970, Mr. Y was driving down Seaview Road from Shanklin to the town of Ride to visit a friend. It was around 7 p.m., so it was getting dark as he was driving. As he was passing through the village of Braiding, he made a right turn towards St. Helens, and that's when he noticed a large, brilliantly lit craft floating in the sky. Astonished, he stopped the vehicle and watched as the craft hovered about in a swampy area near the River Yar, seeming to be aimless in its flight. Mm. It was massive and had a ring of at least seven lights that he could see. There were red lights that were perfect little orbs that he described as like a bright cherry interspersed with turquoise and white lights as well. The craft was also completely silent. Wow. Which happens. We see that so many times Mm -hmm. in the stories we talk about. Right. People people describe so many similar elements of UFOs that, to be fair, like now that's out there a lot. So people, you know, sure, they can copy stories. But for this story, when it came out, it sounds like these kinds of things wouldn't be like, right? Uh, you're not you're not making connections like this on right. the fly. The internet doesn't exist yet, right? People aren't like super interested. Like there, obviously, people have been interested since the 40s. But it like, was in co- like conversation a lot in Europe in the 70s, uh, but I don't know if it was quite yet. I, I think it was like mid. 1970s that there was like a massive upswing or like what they call a flap of UFO sightings Mm. across Europe. Oh, okay. Which is interesting, but that was, yeah, this is years before. Yeah. And this is still something that like consistent, like people can still come up with more crazy things at this point. Right. They're not all jumping to the gun of now let's all say that it's silent. They're, they're going to, right. If they're making it up, they want it to sound realistic <laughs> it's making beep and, boop bops right like it's, yes exactly yeah. it doesn't make any sound is like i feel like that's something that only stuck out to us in recent decades not in the 70s and 80s and even probably 90s at least not for like the layman maybe the right. people that like dedicate their time sure. to research it would like consider sure. that detail yeah but that was not something like i grew up watching um like Twilight Zone and all those fun shows. And that was not a detail that I remember. No, they the always shows. did like a woo yeah. kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. So it's just, it's not the same. And right. that detail being as consistent as it is, is very interesting because mm-hmm. it's the absence of something. Right. So. Mr. Y continued driving and much to his surprise, it seemed like the craft was flying parallel to him along the road. This continued for a few minutes, and as he neared St. Gosh, <laughs> and as he neared St. Helens, the craft suddenly cut across a field, roughly 300 yards away, and dropped slowly. With at least three of the bright lights lining the craft suddenly going dark, 
while the others began to rotate slowly. <laughs> Very specific details. This time, Mr. No. Y decided to try to make contact with the craft, which I can't advise anybody to do that. <laughs> he got out of his car, flashlight in hand, and began shining his light in the direction of the craft. There was no response, but the huge object began sort of bobbing and weaving around the trees in no set pattern and never settling in one spot. Mr. Y decided he needed to finish his trip, and when he arrived at a friend's home, the craft was still there behind him. So the way that this sounds in the article is that this friend's house just so happened to be between where he was coming from and where he was going to. And uh-huh. he's like, my buddy's house is right here. He needs to see this. Right. That's kind of what it sounds like. But he didn't outright say that. So his friend came outside and both men watched as the craft appeared to be playing a strange game of hide and seek between the treetops. He continued on to ride and at some point during his travels, the craft vanished. Over the course of the next two years, he would have several encounters with single balls of red light that seemed to follow him as though it was tracking his movements. But it would be the next incident that would leave Mr. Y feeling a little bit more shaken. Hmm. On March 1st, 1972, Mr. Y found himself in a precarious position. At around 10 p.m., 9 to 10 p.m.-ish, he was cliffside at Compton Bay, effectively trapped for the moment due to an unexpected tidal surge. So oh. he's just on a cliff, just trapped by a oh, random tidal surge. That's scary in a normal night. way. Yeah. Ugh. Mr. Y believed the surge was caused by an underwater craft and its mechanical droning that he heard as the tide rose. What? As he sat and watched the water, he was horrified to discover a pair of glowing yellow eyes no more than 40 feet away from him, just below the surface of the water. And as he put it, they were, quote, peering up at me like the eyes of some horrible sea monster, end quote. The light from the eyes slowly faded and disappeared along with the tide that gradually subsided. As I mentioned earlier, he never mentioned anything about any of his encounters to his daughter, which made her story all the more compelling to him. And to that point, it was brought up that Faye and the boy noticed two workmen working on a post and that neither of the men seemed to hear the wailing noise, nor did they notice Sam or his shack. What? Yeah, they were just like business as usual, working on the post. Her father had his own theory about this, and so I'll just read his exact words, and I want to hear what you think. Quote, I get the impression that Faye was somehow taken into a bubble of alien reality created by this strange personage. He told them that he had just made the hut. Also, Faye told me that while they were talking to this ghost, two workmen nearby were repairing a post. They paid no attention to the weird charade as though they could not see it. End quote. (laughs) What? So either, okay. So to be fair, once again, this sets up either it's true or it's not kind of scenarios. Mm-hmm. She either has an incredible imagination. Right. Or uh, all of that happened. <laughs> that's that's right. literally it. Right. And because of Mr. Wise's experiences, he's he's tying these things together. Yes. And being like, there's something attaching itself to my family. Mm-hmm. Is what it seems like he's getting at. Yeah, that is kind of what it seems like he's saying. And I'm going to talk more about the bubble of alien reality here in a little bit, sort Mm. of. I'll get into that. But I do think it was interesting because at first when I was looking into this story, all of the people were saying, you need to read like all the different 
websites that I was on and stuff were saying, go to the Bufora post, it's online. So I found the original Bufora journal. Hmm. And at first I didn't totally get like, why, why would this be in a UFO publication? Right. You know? And then yeah. very quickly they open up with uh, Mr. Wise stories with mm. his encounters. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he was in a way primed for phase experience and believed that there was a connection between yeah. them. He didn't like explicitly say that, but it's like, it's pretty obvious that that's what he was getting at. And I think Norman yeah. Oliver kind of very briefly touched on that as well. So, wow. So when he brought his story and phase to Bufora, it's unclear what he expected to come from coming forward with his stories. Maybe he just needed someone to know or wondered if others had also experienced things like this and would be inspired to come forward with their own stories if he was brave enough to share. But we don't really know for sure. Yeah. We do know that he intentionally left some details of Faye's story out and that neither of them ever came forward with their real names or with their full stories. And so that's really that. That's it. Wow. It was like a they dropped a bomb in the middle of this <laughs> publication and just walked away. Yep. And like in the journal, it's really interesting. They have a drawing of the hut. They have a drawing of Sam based off of the description, all of that. And there's been like a lot of, I'll probably talk about this too. Sorry. A lot of fan art and stuff that people have made. People are a big fan of all colors. Sam. Sounds like it. Oh gosh. I couldn't be. It's too, it's too much for me. I'm like, Oh, I love this story so much. While this story faded into obscurity a little bit over the last five decades, it's seen renewed interest after being covered by several podcasters and YouTubers Hmm. and has gained almost like a cult reputation for paranormal and UFO enthusiasts alike. Hmm. But what do we make of it? What was Sam? Sadly, there aren't any answers, but there are plenty of comparisons and theories. So let's dive into some of those before we wrap up. Okay. So I kind of think it's probably best to start with talking about Sam. What the heck was this thing? (laughs) Many people over the years have wondered if the answer to this question is more obvious than it may seem. Some wonder if Faye was somehow able to intuit that her father was interested in aliens, and so she crafted a story with her friend. Hmm. And I mean, you and I both know that children are incredibly smart and creative and clever and so many wonderful things, so this could be true. But there was the element of Faye being offended that her father thought she'd made it up. And she stuck to the details so hard. And that boy confirmed the story. So I don't know. Hmm. We know so little about these people that it's hard to know the dynamic of the family and how open their lines of communication were with each other and things like that. Yeah, It's also hard to gauge since we only know a fraction of the conversation that the children had with Sam that lasted for a full 30 minutes. So I'm not really sure of what I think of that theory. Like, is that possible? Absolutely. Like, of course it is. Yeah. But I I don't know. I'm like trying to figure out if that little thing inside of me is like, you don't want to believe that it's a hoax. And so you're going to just decline that theory (laughs) because you want it to be real. I don't know why. Well, yeah. I So for me personally, I never have problems with people with great imaginations telling great stories that are just like fun and wild and out there. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't even, I feel like the word hoax is like too strong for this kind Mm -hmm. of a story. If it is, if it is fictional, it's an incredible urban legend. Right. That gets built up and has 
a, a lot of like it's got legs if it's going to last this long, right? You know? Um, and on the other side, if it's not made up, then it's a peek into something that very few people have actually been able to have a peek into with that right. kind of clarity. Mm, you know, yeah. so many stories of people with encounters of otherworldly beings are muted or um, fuzzy and hazy. Sure. And so this is like a lot of clarity, which we don't often hear. And so it it, it, it leaves you wondering like, okay, what what is this kind of a of a narrative trying to articulate? Is it a, a real experience or is it someone with who should probably be a, <laughs> a, a professional author at some point? Right. <laughs> Another theory is actually quite a bit darker. There's a popular theory that the children had experienced a joint hallucination or delusion. It's important to note right off the bat that we have no idea if either child had a mental health condition and that if this was some kind of shared psychosis, that it would be an extremely rare occurrence. Mm -hmm. Almost as rare as finding a monster dressed as a clown under a bridge, but you get the picture. Sure. If this was more of a, I never feel like I'm saying this right, filet a deux situation, we have to go into that knowing that this is also extremely rare, especially in children, mm -hmm. but that it can be brought on by shared trauma. So some wonder if Sam wasn't a ghost or a spaceman or a monster, but if he was just a man. A regular enough man, maybe in a costume, who did something horrible to the children, causing them both to develop this story as a coping mechanism. Mm. Some have cited the fact that Sam's lips never seemed to move, and so maybe he was wearing a mask of some kind, like a hand-painted mask made in the general likeness of a clown. Yeah. Given the fact that this took place in the early 70s, clowns were mostly embraced by the public and weren't the, like a source of horror stories like those of Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Mm -hmm. And so it's not too difficult to infer that if an evil man was able to target children, a makeshift clown costume could potentially be an unassuming enough disguise that he could use to gain their trust and lure them into a vulnerable position, such as into a shack in the middle of the woods near a mostly abandoned airport and quiet golf course. Yeah. So that is one that people bring up, especially skeptics sure. of the story, which once again, fair. That's a yeah, fair it's, thing. It's fair to point that out. It's really dark, like you said. I would rather that one not be true. Yeah, that personally. one, that one, in my in my heart, I'm like I would like that one to be easily dismissible. Mm -hmm. It's if I'm being really honest, it's not easily dismissible, mm -hmm. but it, it also is not easily provable either. Right. So, right. And I mean, we can't one way or the other. Right. Since we have such little information. So while we're talking about the more supernatural theories, let's take into account Sam's appearance and his own words. Mm -hmm. First, though he's known as the Sandown Clown, not once did the children ever call him a clown. His head was perfectly round and paper white. There was a red fringe of hair on his forehead and he wore a pointed yellow hat with a ball on top and antenna, all attached to a red collared green tunic. He had three fingers on each hand tucked into blue gloves and he had three toes on each of his bare feet. His eyes were painted triangles he had a square-shaped nose and his yellow mouth never moved, though he was able to speak. I brought it up in the last theory, but some people have speculated about the face. Mm -hmm. Was his face actually his face? Like, was that the physical appearance 
of Sam the Sandown Clown? Or was it a mask or a helmet of some kind? So mm. if we're going down the paranormal road, what purpose would a creature, a spaceman slash alien, or a monster have to construct a mask like this and to present mm-hmm. like a clown? It's very strange. Yeah. So then there's also what he said to the kids. When they asked him if he was a man, he chuckled and said no. When they asked if he was a ghost, he said, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. What does that mean? (laughs) No idea what that's supposed to mean. And when they straight up just asked him what he was, he only told them, you know, but they didn't know. Right. (laughs) They obviously didn't know. (laughs) So I suppose he could have been using like, using, you know, as a casual statement, like to like a brush off. Oh, you know. yeah, Yeah. You know, and then tried to move along. But the way that it's read and the way that it's been presented over the years, you know, mm-hmm. feels more like a definitive statement. Right. Like you, I know that you, two children, know what I am. Right. But you don't want to say it or you don't know how to say it or something like that. Yeah. Right. So really all of the other theories boil down to that same thing. That Sam was either a spiritual being, a bizarre cryptid, or a single being of an extraterrestrial race. He did mention that there were others like him on the mainland. Maybe he somehow got stranded on the Isle of Wight longer than he had intended to, since he'd been reduced to boiling like his own water in the metal hut, Mm -hmm. foraging for food and all that kind of stuff. And he also made his own hut, according to Faye. Hmm. So as far as the ghost like slash spiritual theory goes, I don't know if I'm fully convinced because he was solid. He fumbled with the book and he splashed around in the water and he did his little berry trick. And the berries seemed to be local to the island. Like it was a thing that the kids could have picked themselves. And so I don't know if he was solid. I have a hard, like a more difficult time, I guess, believing that he was spiritual. Sure. But maybe there are other cases of like, I don't know, spiritual forms that are more solid. Right. So who knows? So that's one of those things where if we have a listener who's like, (laughs) you need to read this, then I please send it to me. But I have a harder time believing that he was spiritual in nature because of his solidness and i think we could go like down a really long rabbit trail if we wanted to of like kinds of beings that would be spiritual in nature but not not a ghost well and also not non-physical sure like you know we've talked in other episodes of this podcast about i think of like skinwalker ranch experiences um that have like bigfoot sightings tied to it Mm-hmm. Where then people would say Bigfoot is a supernatural being, right. not a creature that just roams aimlessly right. in the woods. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case, then he's also very, um, he or she, because Bigfoots can be either gender. True. But they. Uh, Probably. They also, <laughs> yeah, they also leave physical markings and mm-hmm. and footprints yeah, and true. all that kind of stuff. That's so true. Without going way down that rabbit hole, because you and I could spend hours just on that that one thing, um, I I don't think we can take that totally out of like a spiritual being with physical needs and physical um, abilities to, to manipulate physical um, other physical things, right? <laughs> and tangible movement and all that kind of stuff. Like that's not off the table in my mind. Okay, fair enough. The other commonly talked about element of this story is the question of Sam's intentions. Was this a being from outer space sent here with a distinct mission and a nefarious purpose? 
Or was he a lonely, sympathetic creature who came across some children who could see him for what he was, and so he was willing to do what he could to make them feel comfortable and safe? There really are so many potential possibilities, and I wish that Mr. Y and Faye would have done more interviews <laughs> than just the Bufora Journal because there's just so many holes. Right. Like, and I'm like, are we getting any warmer with our guesses? I have no idea. No clue. No idea. So I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the similarities uh, between Sam and the Pied Piper. We haven't covered the story of the Pied Piper of Hamlin on the show, but I'll give a brief overview. The legend of the Pied Piper of Hamlin dates all the way back to the Middle Ages, and it tells the story of the town of Hamlin that had been ravaged by rats during the plague. Desperate, the people of Hamlin made contact with a rat catcher, a man dressed in pied or multicolored clothing. Mm. And he came in and used his magical instrument, a pipe, to play a song that would lure the rats away where he then drowned them in a river. He was successful and he had completed his job, but the townspeople refused to pay him his promised fee, accusing him of being a swindler who put the rats in the town himself so he could be paid to remove them. Mm. <laughs> Infuriated at such an accusation, the piper promised to return to the town to get revenge. On a church feast day, while the adults were all in a church service, the piper returned and played his magical pipe, luring all of the children to follow him up, out of the city, and into a cave, and all 130 children were never seen again. So what does this have to do with Sam? First is the obvious. He was a strange man dressed in a brightly colored outfit and in many depictions is shown with a pointed hat, the mm -hmm. Pied Piper. Then there's the strange wailing sound that beckoned the children to seek out the source. Oh, yeah. And only the children, apparently. Had it not been for the ambulance noise coming from the swampy meadow, Faye and the boy wouldn't have been there to begin with. So a lot of people have pointed that out, that much like the Pied Piper of Hamlin, he used a strange and almost irresistible sound mm -hmm. in order to lure the children in. Why Sam would have done this is solely up to speculation at this point, but I did think that was interesting. Yeah. There's something disarming and almost silly about the Pied Piper in the eyes of the children of Hamlin and about Sam when you consider that these kids were only seven and the fact that stranger danger wasn't a thing and just the overall cultural context around the time that this took place. So mm. a lot of people pointed that mm. out. They're like, there's something very Pied Piper-y about this yeah. that I don't love. But I yeah. feel like he, there was an intent and it seemed like there was a target on the children because like when he noticed them walking away, he busted out his microphone. Right. And then his voice was right next to them. That's also very eerie to me. It's, the whole experience is really eerie. And I think what what happens in my mind is a lot of begged questions. Okay, well then why let them leave? Why let them recount their story to other people? Why let them even see as much as they saw? Mm -hmm. Like lots of whys that we obviously can't answer. That's kind of the point is that it's speculation. But, you know, that's that's honestly the most natural thing to be asking next is right. why all of these things? Right. Yeah. And what, what was his intention? That's yeah. kind of what I was getting at before, but... Yeah. Yeah. Taking it just a step deeper. Like, why would it then, why would he then allow it mm -hmm. to go the way that it went in the years he could that have followed? Just taken two kids. Yeah. He could have just kept them there. He could have also told them, don't tell anybody anything. Mm -hmm. Like, could have any sorts of those sort of things. And instead, he just 
sounds like. He just befriended them, told them about how he lives his life, Gave and him, sent them on their way. Did a little trick, and then they said goodbye. Yeah. That's pretty much it. So then we also have to think about the metal hut that Sam claimed to have built and that he appeared to be living in for a period of time. Mm -hmm. When Mr. Y had gone back to the area where it was supposed to have been, it was gone. The workmen didn't notice it. Nobody else reported seeing it. Assuming Faye was telling the truth, mm -hmm. why is that the case? Right. How could it be so? There's a very interesting story that John Keel wrote about while he was doing his research for the book, The Mothman Prophecies, that has been connected to this story. Oh, wow. In late October of 1966, 72-year-old Leonard Shy Elmore of Duncan Falls, Ohio, was taking a morning walk at around 4 a.m. He had trouble sleeping, and so he, was, he would kind of just regularly do that. Mm -hmm. When he would struggle to sleep, he would just enjoy walking in the area around his home to pass some time. Yeah. While he was out, he noticed a large L-shaped metal building looking like it was made from galvanized iron that had appeared in one of the fields near his home. Given the fact that he'd never seen it before, he decided to go take a closer look. As he got close to the structure, he was suddenly struck with a very all-encompassing fear that he could not explain. Hmm. On top of that, he made a mental note that there were no doors or windows anywhere on the structure. What? Oh, yeah, this is weird. Whatever the large structure was, it scared him, and so he took off in the opposite direction very quickly when he suddenly heard a very normal-sounding male voice telling him, don't run, don't run. <gasps> Still, Leonard hurried oh, home and grabbed yeah. his rifle, determined to return to the hut in order to get some answers. But when he got there, the metal structure had vanished. And this was like a couple of minutes, this whole ordeal. Yeah. According to Keel, Leonard was very matter-of-fact when he shared his story, and he seemed very disturbed by his experience. It's odd that something like this could happen within a matter of minutes, and then there are the similarities between Leonard's experience and Faye's, mm -hmm. which is fascinating uh, to me. Super fascinating and horrifying, and I hope that never happens to me or you. I know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm that guy that likes to go for walks if I can't sleep, <laughs> so I'm like... <laughs> Not doing that. That guy. This is why I don't go for walks ever, true. even in broad daylight. It's true because there could be a clown under the bridge. <laughs> you just never know. Like I probably never did that again after that. He probably <laughs> did. Leonard was a tough guy. That's true. He was very freaked out for he like probably a didn't chunk sleep of that time. night. He was his probably wife, just awake. Like his <laughs> wife told John Keel, like he was not himself for. A couple of weeks, he was so afraid oh, by what he had yeah. experienced. And he, yeah. I mean, I didn't get a huge, like a hugely detailed description of Leonard as a person, but it sounds like that kind of fear and that mm -hmm. kind of reaction was very inconsistent with how he would normally behave. So there's also that part in the Before article where Mr. Y talked about the kids being taken into a bubble of alien reality, which we very briefly touched mm -hmm. on, but I feel like we can dive in a little bit deeper. So we talked about this guy on our Skinwalker Ranch episode, but there's an incredibly famous and highly regarded UFO researcher named Jacques Vallée. And he talks about this concept that he calls reality transformation. And that's essentially the idea that when someone is experiencing something extraterrestrial or I guess in some instances paranormal, mm -hmm. the reality around them seems to change. We'll hear things like suddenly all of the sounds of nature immediately stopped and it was completely silent. Mm -hmm. Or 
It was like the air around me changed completely immediately before my encounter. Right. Or other things such as memory loss or altered perception of time. Yeah. There is also an idea that beings like Sam, if he is extraterrestrial, allow witnesses to see them in a specific way. Mm -hmm. And like basically the way that I understand it, I think it's called like the Oz effect or the Oz factor, where if you're expecting to see a gray alien or a hairy giant eight foot monster, Mm -hmm. that's what they'll allow you to see. If you're expecting to see a spaceship with a dome top and lights rimmed Mm. around the side, that's what you'll see. So that's kind of the, like the reality transformation and Oz factor kind of wedged into one. And like, you also get descriptions in alien encounters of like, it sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie. And then other times you get stories like this, where it's described as a metal hut with no windows in the woods. Right. So the overall idea is that it's because the beings themselves are able to alter perception based on the eyewitness. That is a powerful tool of like absolute manipulation. Yeah. That's crazy. And so if concepts like this are based in some level of reality, the theory follows that that perhaps the children were experiencing something un, like unclassified mm-hmm. by modern science and that they were the only ones able to see Sam and his hut. And maybe he appeared as a clown in order to ease the fears of the children and to like be accepted. Oh, yeah. Weird. So, and isn't that like... Ooh, don't like that though. That is a very mind-blowing... <laughs> yes. ...idea. Others have also argued that somehow only certain people are able to perceive beings like Sam or UFOs or ghosts or Bigfoot or what mm-hmm. have you because they're sensitive to whatever energies or planes of reality that these beings exist on. Yeah. Which there's kind of an element of like alternate realities existing at the same time. And then sometimes certain realities leak into other ones, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. I think the Black Forest episode, uh-huh. we talked yeah. about that. Super fascinating, but I'm, I feel like I'm not totally well-versed enough in those like in that line of thinking to yeah. weigh in on that. Well, but the, it's like, if that's a real thing, like that sounds like it would be very, ex- an acceptable explanation for this experience. Like if that's a thing, yeah. how would you go about quantifying that? Don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. To, to get into <laughs> a weird, <laughs> a weird scientific element, you, you, it sounds, it sounds like pseudoscience to say parallel universes. But then when you start talking about like things like string theory mm-hmm. and stuff like that, all of a sudden parallel universes are not pseudoscience. It's actually like something, once again, it's on the table. Sure. So you can be open to all sorts of wild <laughs> meta things that you're like, that sounds crazy. Yeah. Because it's hard to wrap our brains around. But that's that's what that very well could be. Like you said, Black Force episode and other episodes where there's been um, portals and things like that, like that's that's what that is. If if those are real, and there's a scientific explanation to it, it's the best we currently have is string theory kind of stuff, which mm. gets really nerdy and way, way out there. Uh, but you have to turn over every rock, you know, turn over every leaf and see kind of what's what's underneath. Yeah, which is. Yes, that's what it that is. It seems to be very widely accepted uh, among the people that are fans of this story that that is what was happening. Hmm. That there was 
an alternative reality situation happening. Yeah. Um, that the, the being itself was able to manifest and that the children were just brought into that. The alien yeah. bubble of alien reality is probably the simplest way to explain yeah. all of that. Yeah. Which I think is interesting that that, that does tend to be the one that people either want to embrace the most or that they just do. I <laughs> mean, it spooky. sounds the funnest, but still very spooky. <laughs> so regardless of what you believe about Sam, whether he was a monster, a spaceman, a cryptid or a hoax, this story has withstood decades of time and has gathered its own slew of dedicated fans and believers alike from Etsy shops with Sam, the Sandown clown memorabilia to brief mentions in books about British paranormal legends, all the way to podcasts and video content about this story. The story of All Colors Sam has cemented itself as a favorite in the hearts and minds of paranormal and UFO enthusiasts. And although his eyewitnesses were never heard from again, I like to believe that they're out there somewhere with children of their own sharing this story and taking as much delight in it as the rest of us. And that is what I have for you today. Wow. Isn't that bizarre? So bizarre. Just, yes. <laughs> so freaky. I feel like I've shared a lot of thoughts in this episode. So I'm going to keep my my con- concluding thoughts very simple. That's weird. <laughs> and now I see, you did tell me at one point, oh, that's scary. Now you're looking, showing me pictures about it. Yep. You just told me at one point that you got so intrigued by the story that you actually went and found as many podcasts, YouTube videos, books, articles that you could find about it, mm-hmm. Reddit threads, because it was so interesting to you. I totally understand why that caught your attention so much. Go it's, listen it's to wild. everybody's coverage of this. Please, <laughs> like literally just search it in your podcast app or yeah. on YouTube and watch every single one or listen to every single one if you enjoyed this story because it is so fascinating. And there are people with different like areas, different takes, different areas of expertise that, you know, they're able to weigh in based off of their personal life experiences. And it's so fascinating. Hmm. And it's almost more fascinating because we have such little actual information. Right. And we have no corroborating evidence. Right. Or nothing really solid besides a story. And that almost makes it more fun. Yeah. But yeah, I love this one. Wild. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. If you haven't already, please make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episodes and leave a five-star review about how much you love this podcast. It helps other people to find this podcast when you leave those kinds of reviews and those ratings. Also, if you haven't already, make sure that you're following us on social media. We're on Instagram and TikTok at This One Is A Doozy. And on Facebook, This One's A Doozy Podcast. And most importantly, if you want to really get the goods and you want to connect with us directly, you can do that over on Patreon. My love, why don't you tell them a little bit about Patreon? Yes. So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or our Facebook about section. Or you can go to patreon.com slash doozypod. And for $5 a month, you can support our show. Supporters over on Patreon also get access to all of our content ad-free, as well as two monthly bonus episodes that you can only listen to on Patreon. Fall Giving is also live now over on there. So we do a poll. We're doing it quarterly from now on, where all of our supporters over on Patreon will vote between two different organizations that support 
victims of violent crime in their families or marginalized people groups. And they tell us who we should give our money to. Mm -hmm. So if you are interested in supporting something like that, head on over to Patreon. Awesome. Well, with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye. Bye.